perfection uh, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah so <clears throat> i think the podcasting has been but, a waste of our time no no yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. welcome to the bullshit filter this is episode 118 um yeah, all day long it's been a crazy month since we last recorded the bullshit filter ray i don't know if you've noticed yeah last was it last week or, or two weeks ago you said yeah we might do a bullshit filter it depends if anything mm. happens in the news i think mm. the universe has provided for you mm, mm, mm. in abundance if you can't convince them confuse them <laughs> it's an old political trick harry truman once said right. um our old mate harry true true um stand-up guy stand-up guy uh and there's a lot of that going on at the moment, uh, a lot of con- yeah. a lot of attempts to confuse them, and this is right. even before AI takes control of our news, which is not <laughs> far away. Thank Christ! You know, so uh, the big story. Uh, there's a lot of big stories we're going to cover. We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about uh, Russia. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. Ukraine. We're going to talk about China. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Falklands. We're going to talk about Daniel Ellsberg. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Biden and China. Um, going to talk buffet. about lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. buffet of stories. Nicaragua um, today, but you know, this so this 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 thing happened. I don't know. If, I don't know if this was covered in the news in America, Ray. But um, yeah, this thing happened in the last week where there was an attempted coup in Moscow. And I don't know if you you, you caught that on the news. So I'm not sure if we right. got any coverage over there, but there was a, 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 some sort of a coup going on. Sees across the Rubicon. And then immediately <laughs> went to Belarus. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Yeah, no. I did not see that coming. Yeah. So everyone knows the story. Prigozhin, the Putin's chef, um, the head of the Wagner Group, uh, mercenary right. uh, little army that he's got here. There. Sure. 
the th- okay, so there's a couple of. I mean, the whole story was fucking. Well, I had a lot of people email me, said you're going to cover this on the bullshit filter, and I was like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on right. over there right now. It's very hard to. Like the yes. idea of this show originally when we started it many years ago was to mm-hmm. try and take stories in the news where it's obvious something we're being yeah. bullshitted to in some way, shape, or form exactly. and try and tease it apart and figure out what, what's going on. Yeah. The, the problem with the whole Ukraine thing and the Russia thing is this just it's wall-to-wall bullshit. It's very hard yeah. for me to <laughs> have any clue of what's going on. You can put right. some of it down to the fog of war, obviously, but I think there's just so much propaganda going on. Yes. And I'm talking about Western propaganda, um, pro-Ukrainian, anti-Russian propaganda, wall-to-wall, that it's very hard to believe anything that I read. I follow right. you know, a bunch of journalists and, and a bunch of subreddits and a bunch of people on Twitter and... I don't believe any anything any side's telling me. Uh, right. You're just don't trying you? to you're just trying to keep some read, sort of a sense of what's going on. Read through the tea leaves uh, as best you can. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the whole Prigozhin thing. So uh, as far as we know, uh, from what we've been able to cobble together over the last few years. This guy Prigozhin uh, is kind of on good terms with Putin. Uh, right. By the way, uh, I don't know. Have you watched any of the um, Putin uh, interviews that Oliver Stone did that I've been recommending for the last few months? No, but not because you've been recommending it. That's not why I haven't been watching it. <laughs> I finished the series uh, in mm-hmm. the last week, and right. again, I'll highly recommend it if you can find it. It right. is available on YouTube, which is where I got it. If you want to watch it and you don't have a link, email me and I'll give you the link. Um, really, really good series. Um, mm-hmm. Very fascinating. And um, anyone who's interested in Putin uh, needs to watch it because of what's going on in the world today because it's, uh, I think, a terrific um, insight into the guy and how he yeah. operates. Anyway. Yeah. So Prigozhin is supposedly on good terms with Putin. You know, the media always refers to him disparagingly as Putin's chef. For people that haven't read the story, um, mm-hmm. Prigozhin's got a fairly murky background. He he went to prison. I think he did like eight years, decades ago. Um, then he got out and he ended up, I think he had like a hot dog stand or something, and it turned into right. owning some restaurants among other businesses. Wow. Uh, apparently one of the restaurants was um, sort of a high-end place, became one of Putin's favourites. He'd take dignitaries there. Mm-hmm. Um, became This this guy, you know, being sort of sucked up to Putin, became friendly with him, ended yeah. up, you know, getting access to, you know, sorts of opportunities in Russia and somehow supposedly was one of the guys, if not the guy that created the Internet Research Agency, the IRA, which mm-hmm. is supposedly involved in uh, disinformation, pro-Russian, anti-American disinformation, 2016 election. They were supposedly involved in that, among other things, hacking attempts, that kind of yeah. stuff. Whether or not there's any uh, proof to those allegations or it's just uh, American propaganda, we don't know. You know, Back right. in the 2016 elections, I mean, we dug into all those stories and tried to find evidence of that. Putin gets talked asked about it. Oliver Stone asked him about that in the because I think the last interviews they did for that series was 2017 and he was asking him about the 2016 election. 
Mm-hmm. Putin was like, I've read all the American stories. You know, they, they have no evidence of anything. They're just <laughs> coming up with allegations and, right. you know, is this really Some nothing? Because, yeah. you know, could have been anybody. Um, right. Um, and he said, you know, any anyone can, you know, pretend that it's anyone else doing it. Uh, this is all very hard to unpick who does what. He denied it and said there was no evidence. Anyway. Uh, whether or not you believe him, who, who knows? But um, yeah. So anyway, Prigozhin supposedly part of the uh, behind the Internet Research Agency, and then also set up Wagner, this this private right. mercenary group, which he denied being having anything to do with Wagner until <laughs> I think about a year ago when he finally acknowledged it. And Wagner's like America's Blackwater, Eric Prince, yeah. like Blackwater yeah. or XE, and they changed their name a bunch of times when they. Were uh, right. you know found guilty of you know just assassinating yeah. civilians in Afghanistan or whatever, and they'd yeah. have to change their name. I think he sold it off or something at some point. Right. I think the that latest name is Bambi's Nose. I think mm. is the latest uh, right trademark. Uh, mm. Yeah. No, but yeah, it's outside the government, but yet the government can tell it what to do. I guess that's called plausible deniability to some degree. Yeah. So. I, the point being that Prigozhin's supposedly on really good terms with Putin, mm-hmm. and then Prigozhin turns on the Russian military, and and all the Russian military turned on Wagner. Um, there was accusations yeah. flying both ways, and Mutual then he turning. went in went into Russia supposedly to overthrow mm-hmm. the Russian military. Story seems to be that the Russian military were trying to merge. <laughs> Wagner into the the official Ministry of Defense Russian military. Right. Um, right. He wasn't happy. Prigozhin wasn't happy about that. You get cut um, out. Yeah, yeah. He he was getting cut out of something. But he never badmouthed Putin. He badmouthed the Russian generals in his little rants. Right. And seemed to be suggesting that they were lying to Putin about how badly they were doing in Ukraine. <laughs> And uh, their yeah. attacks on him. He never badmouthed Putin, and Putin never badmouthed Prigozhin through the whole thing um, until they were marching on Moscow. Then he's, <laughs> again, he never, never really name checked Prigozhin, but he did say things right. like the people responsible for this will be accused of treason or held liable yes. for their crimes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, within a day or two of them marching into Russia, some sort of a deal is supposedly broken. <laughs> Prigozhin goes to Belarus. Lukashenko, the president slash dictator of Belarus, also apparently friendly with Prigozhin for 20 odd mm-hmm. years. He's friendly with right. Putin. He's friendly with Prigozhin. Some deal happens. It hasn't been very clear since then about what the deal is, except that. Prigozhin was allowed to go to Belarus. Um, There's still talk that charges are going to be laid and, you know, it's murky. I mean, honestly, I have no fucking idea what's going on. Yeah. But the point, uh, the reason I want to talk about it is not to clarify what's going on because I don't know. It's the glee that I saw all over the media and the internet when this happened, which is misplaced, I think. Yeah. Yes. Like, Americans in particular uh, love it when somebody, the, you know, leader of a country they don't like might be brought down. You, yes. We saw the same sort of glee when Saddam Hussein was captured uh, and executed, when Gaddafi was captured and executed. 
And you would think they would have learned from that. I mean, uh, these were not happy events. When Gaddafi was captured and executed, Libya turned into a fucking shit show. Yes. When Saddam was captured and executed, Iraq turned into a fucking shit show. Um, They tried to do the same thing to Bashar al-Assad, which is how we started this show many, many years ago, talking about the Syrian civil war. By the way, yeah. Putin talks about that as well in the in the um, Oliver Stone interviews. interviews. Cool. Yeah, he talks about why they got involved in Syria, and he talks about Iraq and um, and uh, Libya, and we don't want that to happen again. We we've you know he's he's like we we we've seen what happens when America removes yeah. the leaders of these countries. Yeah, it turns into a shit show. Terrorism flourishes. Yeah. We Mass don't want exodus. that to happen uh, again. Yeah. We like whether you like Bashar al-Assad or you don't, he's uh he's the leader of the country and if you remove him it's going to create a power vacuum and bad things happen in power vacuums, right? Right. Uh, but this is I but this watching- yeah. Uh, just real quick, because I, I do a lot of UK news and I've been just a lot of watching a lot of people bitch about, you know, these non white people coming over from the Middle East or from wherever. And of course, they feel like they're, be, you know, the, the, some of these people feel like our resources should just go to our people. But when you destabilize a region or a country and those, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people go somewhere, they got to go somewhere. And don't be surprised if they come, you know, knocking on your door. So quit destabilizing things and maybe you won't have to deal with all this uh, mass immigration. But like you said, um, this is a lesson that's been a long time to be learned. Just the glee and the hope and expectation I see out of Americans, not just in the media, but on Facebook and Reddit and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, really? Like, okay, let's say Putin had been overthrown in a coup. Right. And had been replaced. Mm-hmm. Do you think the person who comes after Putin is going to be um, better More for stable. that part of the world or <laughs> worse for that part of the Pro world? Pro-Western? Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it no. going to be, uh, they're going to be crazy, like Progotsin? Do you want Progotsin to be the president of Russia? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want a hardliner general? I mean, look, you know, and again, Putin talks about this in the interviews too. Mm-hmm. When um, Boris Yeltsin sort of managed to take over Russia after Gorbachev, right, and, and was supported very heavily by the US, both oh, yeah. uh, diplomatically and in terms of media coverage, financing, funding, su- yeah, political Biden, support by the Clinton Biden administration. The White House. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, it did not go well for Russia or Russians. You know, this right. started this massive period, not that there wasn't corruption in Russia before this, obviously, but massive corruption and the the rise of the oligarchs, all of the state-owned enterprises were sold off for pennies to, uh, you know, these yeah. corrupt guys that ended up running the country. And, um, you know, Putin is very critical of the way that Yeltsin and the Americans handled that and what it did to Russia. And uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure some people think that he was one of the beneficiaries of that. Um, but, you know, from his perspective, at least the way he portrays it, he spent 20 years trying to dig Russia out of the mess that was created when yeah. um, Putin, uh, when, sorry, uh, Yeltsin yeah. allowed all that to happen. 
But it, it's mm. like I just don't think regime change. It, right. Forced regime change ends well in these these countries that have been run for decades by a strong man, mm-hmm. and I don't think Putin's in the same category as a Saddam Hussein or a, or a Gaddafi. I mean, yeah. or Bashar al-Assad or his father. I mean, Russia has a lot of problems, but they're different problems to, to those of places like Iraq or, or Syria or Libya. Um, yeah. It, but it doesn't end well, forced regime change. Never has. Uh, there's, yeah. there's no example I can think of where that's ever ended well, either for the people of the country or for mm-hmm. the world in general, but you know the neighbors of that country, and yet Americans still just seem to get giddy with glee <laughs> when they think it's about to happen. I'm like, really? You, you, you haven't yeah. learned from history. Yeah, history learns. You can always get worse. History is like, hold my beer, because it's happened time and time again. I mean, it was smaller, weaker countries, America and and Britain and France and other major Western powers. Sometimes you can pick the next guy coming in. With Russia, that's not going to be the case. And you're absolutely right. If Putin was to fall, it's the Wild West all over again. And that country has nuclear weapons. So, yeah, take heed, please. And, and you know, I kept thinking, too, I wonder how these Americans would feel if their government was being overthrown, if there was a coup, right. which I think is inevitable in the US, and the rest of the world was reacting with glee and uh, giddiness at the overthrow of America. And as, as much as I despise the way that the US government operates and conducts itself, mm-hmm. I don't want to see the American government overthrown right. because I know, yeah. again... What comes next is not going to be good for either Americans or the world in general. That kind of uncontrolled uh, handover of power, uh, a power vacuum, uh, and what fills it is never a good thing. And particularly (laughs) a country with a military the size of yours and the nuclear weapons that you have, it's not a good thing. But then I want to talk about who was behind Prigozhin's uh, march on Moscow. Now, Mm-hmm. We know that regime change uh, in Russia is an American goal. Biden, in one of his many, many gaffes, see the other <laughs> yesterday, he said that Putin was losing the war in Iraq. Um, right. Good job, uh, sleepy Joe Biden, dopey Biden. <laughs> uh, he, he said uh, out loud with his outside voice a year ago <laughs> that – this guy's got to go, talking about Putin. Right, yes. Um, and the American diplomats quickly tried, the State Department tried to go, oh, yeah, that's not official policy. He, yeah. didn't, right. he didn't mean that. He just gaffed because he's dopey joke. Right. But uh, he said it, and obviously that is, you know, American yeah. policy. We get that. The whole he war in Ukraine, I think, is it's part yeah. of their strategy to destabilise Russia. Absolutely. Um, and bring about a regime change where they hope that they'll be able to have more influence over the the new yeah. leadership of the country. So no we know this. Big. Yeah, we know this from our you know all the history shows that we've done that when the US sets its sights on regime change in a country, there's a number of ways that they go about doing it, and. Um, mm. 
who was the guy who wrote the book um, about his activity? Yeah, economic hitman John Perkins. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, John Perkins and Confessions of an Economic Hitman basically explained the model. Yeah, got it down which to a is, science, bitch. Yeah, you, you sit down with the president of the country and you say, um, <laughs> "We want you to support our initiatives A, B, C, and D, which is basically buy our products, give our banks and our corporations access to your economy, open free access." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, borrow lots of money from us, jack up your country's debt, build infrastructure with our companies, our products, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, if you don't do that, we're going to destabilize your economy, destabilize your government, and replace you with somebody who will um, exactly f- follow our orders. So let's avoid and, that ugliness. Let's just yeah. avoid it. Yeah, just give us. And if you do, uh, you know, give us what we want, then you know, there'll yeah. be brown paper bags in bank accounts in Panama or, or wherever make, for you. Make it worth your you, while. Your people yeah. will hate you, yes, but you'll retire <laughs> to Miami and it'll all be fine. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Um, and if if the president of Country X says, go fuck yourself, <laughs> what they do is try and find a, a general or mm-hmm. a politician um, right. Who is willing to play ball, and yeah. then the the American media machine and the government will get behind accusing the government of this country of being corrupt, of being communist, or they'll lead you into a war, or they'll destabilize your economy, or they'll put sanctions on you to make your people suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they put sanctions on your your your, your business people, on your politicians. Gradually try and ratchet up the pressure on the country until something cracks and they can create some sort of a civil war in the country. They have their NGOs. You have Victoria Newland and people like that floating into the country, um, funding, quote, unquote, NGOs or pro-democracy movements, which is really just fronts for destabilizing influences in the country, encouraging, teaching groups how to Organize, teaching them how to, you know, um, basically foment uh, yes. unrest and civil war in the country. Yes. Not, I mean, the playbook was invented from an American perspective anyway. Um, the playbook was invented by Kermit Roosevelt in Iran in the early 50s when mm-hmm. the newly created CIA figured out how to recruit uh, criminal elements to overthrow Mossadegh's government. It worked right. really well in Iran. Then the US denied it for 50 years. And then finally, <laughs> again, under Clinton, said, oh, yeah, yeah, we did do yeah. that. That was um, us. That, was, that us. was us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, did we yeah. say it wasn't us? Oh, shit. Oh. Um, oh. No, that was us. Typo. Yeah, That was. Yeah. Was us. It wasn't Very it. much was us. It was. <laughs> exactly. Um. So getting back to Prigozhin, so yeah. I haven't seen anyone talking about this, except I know that um, the US government uh, has denied it. They got on the front foot and said we had nothing to do with it, but mm-hmm. they say that every time. Yes, um, especially when it's true. Except yeah. when Trump was in power and they were trying to overthrow Venezuela, then they're like, yeah, yeah, we're overthrowing Venezuela. Yeah. <laughs> John I miss that level of Trump. honesty. Remember right. when John Bolton turned up to a press conference about Venezuela and he had a, like a yellow legal pad under his arm and it had like oh, overthrow Venezuela. Yeah. <laughs> Step one, <laughs> overthrow Venezuela. <laughs> to get some written on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. Um, legal pads. 
there was even a guy, uh, I saved this to my notes somewhere. I, I don't have it at handy. There was a, I saw this on uh, <laughs> Reddit or something recently. There was um, like some retired five-star general, US general on Fox News or something recently. Right. And the, the uh, host of the show was saying, have we overthrown any countries recently? And he was like, ah, I'd rather not say. <laughs> and then they both had a great laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> we don't do that yeah. anymore, do we? He goes, I can't say anything about that. They <laughs> had a great laugh yeah, about no. it. Yeah, yes. So, so yeah. look, we I don't have any evidence. Uh, you know, you can call me a conspiracy theorist, but we know that when you have this kind of thing happen in countries, uh, usually the U.S. is involved in some way, shape, or form. We we believe, I believe, the U.S. Right. was involved in the coups in Ukraine in 2004 and 2014, mm-hmm. the um, coups slash revolutions, whatever you want to call them. Um, interestingly, remember, we, we've told this whole story about Victoria Newland and the phone call that was leaked in 2014 where right. she and the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine were figuring out who um, to install as the new government. Yeah. My my editor, uh, Dennis, in Kiev, uh, I was talking to him a month or so ago about the situation over there, Mm -hmm. and I asked him for what his views were on all of that, the Victoria Newland phone call. He'd never heard of it. Uh, Oh, wow. He goes, oh, really? I didn't know that. That's interesting. So I don't (laughs) think that story's got much coverage in Ukraine, which is fascinating. Um, but you know, for for a guy like Prigozhin to do what he did, okay. So let's say you're the U.S. government and mm-hmm. you Prigozhin's making these public statements. This is before he marched on Moscow, and he's saying he's unhappy. Like right. he's he's making these videos, he's posting these things on various social media. He's on Telegram or something, mm-hmm. um, complaining about the treatment the treatment of Wagner by the Russian military. Let's right. say you're, you know, the uh, State Department or a CIA uh, mm-hmm. guy, right? And right. you're paying attention. What's the first thing you're going to do when you see a guy like him? who runs yeah. a mercenary outfit. Like mercenaries, by definition, are people who take money to do shit. Like yes. that's what a mercenary is. You're the <laughs> richest country on the planet or maybe the second after China now. We don't really right. Uh What do you do? You you want to overthrow Putin. You've got He's this dead. guy with a private military who's unhappy. Are you right. picking up the phone to him like right away and going, hey, yeah. hey, 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 Triggy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw your latest blast. Uh, yeah. I got a check with your name on it. Let's talk. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> this this phone call never happened. If you said it did, <laughs> we'll deny it. Right. But if if you were to march on Moscow and right. overthrow Putin, For I'm not saying you, uh, right. you know I'm not saying you should do that. But if you were to do that, right, just Say know Friday. that. We yeah. would have your back. Um, yes. You know, we would give you lots of positive coverage. We mm-hmm. would say what you did was a good thing for the world and a good thing for Russia. And uh, there would probably be billions of dollars sitting in, you know, we, all the sanctions, gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Frozen bank no accounts, problem. unfrozen. Yeah. You know, don't, your account, beefed up. Yeah. Now, you're you're a planner. 
um, let's say CIA, State Department, right. White House, whatever. Yeah. You, 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 people are saying to you, well, well, you know, is this guy crazy? You go, yeah, it probably is, but we'll worry about that tomorrow. Like yeah. goal number one. It's yeah. a bit like when uh, Brutus and Cassius uh, murdered Caesar. It was like right. everyone was like, what are, what are we going to do after we murder Caesar? Oh, look, don't worry about that. Listen, you, you, you're overthinking it. <laughs> one ball at a time. That's what yeah. we said when we were playing four. One ball at a time. Now step do one, Fuck me. overthrow the government. We'll worry about step two when we've done step one. Don't worry step about that. Step two is meet at the chalkboard and come up with another step. Yeah. That's step yeah, yeah. two. Yeah. Plenty of time yeah. to think about step two when we've done step one. <laughs> Like, okay, call me a conspiracy theorist. Uh, that's fine. But you ha- like, you can't tell me that if yeah. you're CIA um, slash State Department, yeah. when you see Prigozhin displeased with what's yes. going on, you don't yeah. pick up the phone straight away and try and get a call through to him. Right. You, have, you know, you have people on the ground, you know, Mayors. and the- the CIA has, you know, people yeah. everywhere that, that on on call in all of these right. places. Get me, get get me Prigozhin's private telegram, right? I, right. Uh, we need to get a message in. So you're like they're right. do, they're, they're reaching out. I would yeah. reach out and go, hey, 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 hey. I hear you're troubled. Yeah, Aww. yeah. Aww, what can I do with yeah. a checkbook <laughs> to help you? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Am I crazy? In, in thinking that that uh, no. they're going to at least try now, whether or not he took the call, whether yeah. or not it went anywhere. Oh, you but know, there were thoughts. There were thoughts well, in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely yeah. think the call w- was made. Um, yeah. Now he might've told him go fuck yourself, but and, and this doesn't have to be a transfer of any money. It's like, listen, yeah. you know, we support what you're doing. Yeah. If it goes well, um, we got your back. Be another, yeah, Simple as be that. another call. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or it could be. Yeah. It could be a lot more than that. It could be, um, listen, if we, we dropped uh, $50 billion in an account for you tomorrow, um, yeah. what, what could you get done? Right? Yeah. yeah. What can I get for that money? Yeah. yeah. But the whole did want- Prigozhin, yeah. Lukashenko, yeah. Putin triangle, uh, I can't make any sense out of what's going on there. But And, you know, yeah. there is talk in the, in the Reddits about um, – Putin asked Prigozhin to do it because he wanted an excuse to get rid of the Ministry of Defence and overthrow, yeah, get rid of his generals, and now we can blame right. them. And there's talk that some Who of his knows? senior generals have gone missing since this, or they've been arrested. And it's again uh, hard to know yeah. what to believe and what not to believe. But yeah, it's uh, so. The point is that I, I believe the US are involved at some level in this. To what degree, I don't know. And I believe that the glee and the giddiness is uh, very misplaced. It's not a good thing. If Putin goes down in Russia, oh, it will not be a good thing for Russians <laughs> or for the rest of the world. I believe. Yeah. I don't like to plug other people, well, other than us, but there's a gentleman on uh, TikTok. He's probably on other things as well. And he goes by Mr. Global, I think. And he's been in the oil business for decades and he's got his own refining business. I think he's got some, he owns his own business, something to do with the processing of oil. He was saying, and he was saying things like, if Putin goes down, you think you're complaining about the prices of oil now with all the chaos that would happen? You know, it would just explode because there would be so much chaos. Markets don't like chaos. And so, 
that's another reason, you know, Americans would feel it most personally if something happens to Putin, even though they don't think they would, they would. Let me ask you this. I just had one question as far as I understand this. Now, you said this at the very beginning, and it's absolutely true. There's more that we don't know than we do know. I totally accept that. That's 100% right. But I did have one question. So Prigozhin is, is bitching about him being cut out because I think the military, the Department of Defense, whatever, wanted to be able to recruit Wagner troops directly and leave him out. But you don't cut out the top guy because they're listening to him. So obviously he's got to take care of himself. But here's my point. There's supposedly, and again, we don't know, that supposedly they were trying to remove him. He does this little mini rebellion. He stops it himself. And then he goes to Belarus, where supposedly he's going to be safe. From what I can tell, at the end of the day, when the dust settles, the Ministry of Defense of Russia got what they wanted because he's out. Could Putin really let him come back into Russia? Could Putin really put him in charge once again of an army after after what he's done? And again, we don't know all the details, but I just imagine that um, this this is something that it, it benefits uh, the Russian government, because what I've been reading in the news is that Putin's never been weaker. This. Oh, my God. He's like one step from being taken down. He's never looked so weak. Actually, he got what he wanted. This guy who was a troublemaker, supposedly, is now off stage. And so I would say it's the exact opposite. Putin is, is a little safer knowing that this guy is now out of the picture. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. Yeah, that's part of the craziness of the narrative around this. Like there is, yeah. <laughs> There's all this stuff on Reddit and in the media about Putin's never been weaker and this has shown that Putin can be gotten to, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. He exactly. shut down a rebellion, an armed rebellion in 48 hours in his country. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Without pretty bloodshed, good. you know. Yes. Thank you. I think, I think 13 people died in total from what I read. But, yes, you're absolutely right. It could have been thousands. Well, I, uh, you know, what I understand, if you can believe mm. anything that you read, is that uh, right. the Wagner troops shot down some Russian military aircraft yes. during yes. this whole thing. But yeah. Putin, you know, didn't have Prigots and, and his guys captured and executed, as far as I know. It right. was uh, cleanly done and done within a day or two. Um mm. Like that's he just picked up a phone call and said, uh, "No, I don't think so, son. Fuck off." And it happened. Like that's- this is not to me the sign of a guy who's weak. This is a guy exactly. who who yeah, shut it down. Yeah, it's like part of it. Like ever since the war in Ukraine started, mm-hmm. which is what nearly uh, nearly eighteen months ago. Almost right. every day, the Western media is uh, the oh, fact right. has been. Day now. Russians yeah. lost. Yeah, you know, it's all over for yeah. Russia. They, you know, the Ukrainians are doing a marvelous job. It's all over. Yeah, they're they're heroes. Yes, yeah. they're heroes. They single handedly, with two hundred billion dollars <laughs> of our money and the Europeans' money, have defeated. <laughs> By the way, held off. Yes. Do you know yes. what the Russia Russia's annual military budget is? No. What? It's about sixty billion dollars. Is uh-huh. there? Military budget. That's not bad. It's not uh, bad. You know, Ukraine has received roughly three times that in the last year and a half from yeah. international sources. Not all military, and some of it's gone to pay off their debts, sure. which we'll get into. But, you need but that. yeah, I mean, gee, everyone's like the scrappy Zelensky, the scrappy <laughs> Ukrainians. 
Oh. With two hundred billion dollars of other people's money, like you and I could win a fucking war right. if we had two hundred billion dollars of weapons. Some, we could we could hold Caesar off and Alexander <laughs> if you give us a couple Abram tanks, uh, hmm. some of those things. Those you mount, you hold them on your shoulder and you shoot off. Yeah, I, I think we could do well for, well for about sixteen months. I think it'd be okay. Yeah, the whole narrative though that oh Putin's looking weak now, like it's it's like in the QAV show we always talk about economists predicting a recession. Like yeah. if you predict a recession every day for ten years, eventually oh, you're going to be right. Yes, see, see, I told see? you so. I told you. Yeah, yeah. listen to me. Buy my book. Yeah, mm. yeah. But seriously, everybody, watch the 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 Putin interviews that Oliver Stone did, uh, and tell me. No one's done that yet. Watch it and then tell me what you think of Putin. Because to me, he right. comes across as one of the smartest, um, most um, stable politicians mm-hmm. <laughs> I've ever seen interviewed. I would, I would um, feel more comfortable with him running my country than pretty much any politician from any country that I know yeah. of. He's going to be effective. Yeah, yeah. And I I think possibly it's because, you know, um, even though they do have elections there, you know, whether you believe they're legitimate or not, he doesn't seem worried about speaking his mind. He's very, very, very calmly just states things as he sees them to be true because he's not really worried about appealing to the electorate. Very funny. At the very end, after they wrap up the last interview, they're shaking mm-hmm. hands, the crew's packing up. Putin walks up to Oliver Stone and he says, have you ever been beaten? Oh, God. And his trans... Pants. Putin does right? speak English. He goes up to Stone's wife after this and speaks in English to her. So he can speak English, but he mostly speaks in Russian. So he's, sure. his interpreter says to Stone, have you ever been beaten? And Stone says, uh, yes, yes, I have. Putin says, good, then you know what's coming for you when this goes out. He says, you're going to get, you're really going to get um, punished for these interviews. That's bad. You're going to get punished back home, he's yeah. by American. Right, Americans. right, right. Yeah. How dare and Stone, you? And Stone says, yeah, um, yeah I know, but yeah. um, I, I think it's worth it. You know, I, the, this, you know, this story needs to be told and I'm willing to take right. whatever punishment they want to dish out for telling it. Exactly, um, and he did. There's always like, more than one side. Yeah, Stone got viciously attacked, left, right, and center by the U.S. media um, for having the temerity to yeah. interview Vladimir Putin for four hours. He's, he's evil. We told you he's evil. Why? It's like talking to the devil. Why are you doing this? How yeah. dare you? Uh, let this guy <laughs> explain himself. Oh, and just one last thing: the uh, the uh, Prigozhin. Uh, was it today or yesterday? I can't remember. I read an article. Uh, his planes landed in Belarus, but there's no proof of that he got off those planes. So again, he, no one can find him. The other guy, no one can find him. We don't know if he's alive. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, yeah, so you're right. This is an absolute mystery wrapped in enigma. This is just strange. And and if you hear anything on the news, there's a good chance they're lying or making it up because no one seems to really know what's going on. Yeah. All right, well, move, staying on Ukraine, but moving on a little bit, um, there's an article in the Grey Zone uh, mm. the last week or so um, 
some research done by Heather Kaiser, who's a former military intelligence officer and a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan, independent researcher uh, in um, geopolitical stuff. She's got a bachelor in geopolitics from West Point and mm. um, and a degree in sculpture from Indiana University. Um, Impressive. And Anya Parampil, who's a journalist based in Washington, who's made some uh, documentaries about Korea, Palestine, Venezuela, Honduras, and Max Blumenthal, the editor-in-chief of Grey Zone. It's an article mm-hmm. called All Aboard the Gravy Train, an Independent <laughs> Audit of U.S. Funding for Ukraine, dated June 27, 2023, so a couple of days ago. Right. Starts off like this. In the absence of official scrutiny of Washington's spending spree on Ukraine, the Grey Zone conducted an independent audit of U.S. funding for the country. We discovered Mm -hmm. a series of wasteful, highly unusual expenditures the Biden administration has yet to explain. Right. Now, uh, you know, um, my basic framework for understanding the U.S.'s reason for engineering slash supporting conflicts like what's happening in Ukraine mm-hmm. is is twofold and I'm not sure which one comes first but they all they both involve um economic gain for key players right for the military right. industrial complex yeah um you know I do think there has been a concerted effort on behalf of the US since the end of World War II to try and destabilize first the Soviet Union and then after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russia mm-hmm. and Russia's uh, and the former Soviet countries to bring them into the American economic block uh, right. to make them Turn part them. of America's you know, yeah. trading block. Um, and in order to do that, sometimes they need to... Um, overthrow governments, as yeah. we saw happen in Ukraine in 2004 and 2014. The reason it they want to money. do that is is to weaken Russia, uh, right. but the reason they want to weaken Russia is because they want access to Russian resources. They want access. They've had access to Russian markets, but Russia controls a lot of oil. Um, yes. Ukraine controls a lot of grain, a lot of natural resources controlled by these countries and U.S. business people. Yeah. Want want that? You know, this this it could be our money. Why should we yeah. let you have all this money when well, we want money? And, that, and that's just basic human greed, right? We want to control as much as possible. It's all about right. capitalism is driven by economic growth, constant yes. economic growth. More, and more, and more. Exactly. To get more growth, you need more growth. markets. Exactly. You need more. You need more countries. You need more people that you have unfettered access to. Yeah, grow or die. And yeah. then the flip side to that is uh, American uh, businesses learnt during World War II, military Keynesianism, that mm-hmm. a really, really great way to make a lot of money really quickly is <laughs> is there f- to be a war, is for there to be a war. Yes, that Because helps. if there's a war, just the the spigot runs freely. Oh. The go- the government can say, "Oh, hey, listen. You know, we said we were Crisis. broke and we we couldn't afford yeah. this, that, or the other. Now yeah. we're just gonna magically make a hundred billion dollars appear to give to Ukraine. Where's the money Turn coming the from? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But the yeah. money this doesn't go crisis. Yeah, but we know the money as we've talked about in our Cold War series um, mm-hmm. at Infinitum. The money yeah. doesn't. It's not like they." You know, people seem to think that they just uh, 
and says, you know, put $100 billion into PayPal and send it to Ukraine's <laughs> uh, PayPal account that Ukraine gets to spend. That's not how it works. Right. When they right. say, you know, we, we've, we're giving $70 billion to support Ukraine, mm-hmm. what tends to happen is the vast majority of that money goes to American businesses or the right. businesses of allies of America because they spread it around a little bit. Right. Um, and to send maybe products to Ukraine, weapons, yeah. Uh, whatever it is, you know, other products, not all just weapons, but as we'll talk mm-hmm. about with this audit. Uh, but it, the, the money doesn't leave the country. It goes to right. American Thank businesses. Um, yes. It goes from the American taxpayers to the U.S. Treasury, from the U.S. Treasury to the Pentagon, from the mm-hmm. Pentagon to American businesses, then the American businesses ship the products to yes. Ukraine, be it, be yeah. it tanks, be it planes, be it whatever, guns, bullets, and other products. But the money stays mostly in America and American businesses. It's just an easy way for these businesses to get, you know, tap into uh, uh, American money very quickly. Right. Yeah. Anyway, and, and these things, as we know, this happened in Iraq and Afghanistan over the last 20 years. Um, there's not a lot of transparency about where the money you, is going. You. It just tends to be spent. The the right. because it's a war and it's urgent and there's an emergency you can go don't worry about we, we don't have time for we don't have time for tracking it no counting. we don't have time for no accountability yeah. whatever you do do not count the money in front of you just get it yeah. to the next place yeah step one yeah. just give the money away <laughs> step two uh, explaining where we gave the money away we'll worry about that later yes. right step twenty seven don't worry about it. I talked yeah. about this in the psychopath epidemic uh, mm-hmm. when they when they finally did start auditing the money that was going to Iraq in the you know by like the late two thousands or early twenty tens, they started right. to do some audits. They were like, uh, "Hey, so this this hundred million dollars, where did this go? Uh, I don't know. I, what do you mean you don't I, know? I, don't know. Do you have receipts? I don't have a receipt. No, we don't have time for receipts. We're in a war. No. What are you talking about? Right. You expect yeah. me to?" Ask people to verify that they are who they say they are when I'm giving them $100 million. We're in a fucking war. No. It's crazy. Crazy yeah, talk. You, know. you don't know how to fight a war, do you? Yeah. And it's very hard to argue against that. And, and you know, no one, there's no accountability usually. Right. And you and don't I, want to be the one person that holds up the process because then you're going to no. get a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. So Not I firmly good. believe that uh, American businesses have come to rely on this. Every 10 years, there's a major conflagration that they have to get involved in and the right. spigots are turned on and the American people get fleeced yes. and right. no yes. one no one is ever held accountable for it and yeah. no one ever tracks it down. So anyway, uh, yeah. as the Grey Zone is saying, there's, there's, again, this is another example of this under the Biden administration. There's not a lot of transparency mm-hmm. about where the money's going. So right. the article says, during a recent discussion with New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof, administrator of the United States Agency for International Development, USAID, Samantha Power, touted her organization's push to guarantee transparency for U.S. taxpayer funds sent to, sent to Ukraine. Damn now, right. Damn right. Samantha <laughs> Power uh, was previously the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations from 2013 to 2017. Mm. She, she's part of the problem. Yes. Anyway, she says, we are involved in funding efforts at ensuring judicial integrity, which is intrinsically important to building Ukraine's democracy and its integration plans to get into Europe. 
She also said it's also really important in terms of assuring the taxpayer, the American taxpayer, that their resources are well spent. While innocuous on the surface, Powell's comments revealed a great deception the U.S. government is currently waging against the American public. In the roughly Mm. 16 months since Russia's February 2022 escalation of the Ukraine conflict, the U.S. government has approved several multi-billion dollar spending packages to sustain the Kiev military's fight against Moscow. Though many Americans likely believe that U.S. dollars allocated for Ukraine are spent directly on supplies for the war effort, the lead author of this report, Heather Kaiser, conducted a thorough review of Washington's budget for the 2022 and 2023 fiscal year and discovered that is far from the case. (laughs) U.S. taxpayers may be shocked to learn that as their families grappled with fears of Social Security's looming insolvency, the Social Security Administration in Washington sent $4.48 million to the Kiev government in 2022 and 2023 alone. In another example of bizarre spending, USAID paid off $4.5 billion worth of Ukraine's sovereign debt through payments made to the World Bank. All right. while Congress went to loggerheads over America's ballooning national debt. Remember wow. they 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 nearly yes. shut down the government a couple of weeks ago <sighs> over the ballooning yeah. debt. They paid off four and a half billion of Ukraine sovereign debt. And then they say in the gray zone, Western financial interests, including BlackRock Inc., are among the largest holders of Ukraine government bonds. Wow. Yeah, business as usual. But yeah, so so it's also serving when the Republicans have the White House, it's all good. When the Democrats have the White House, it's just a, it's just a club that you pick up to beat the opponent. You know, they don't really mean it. They don't really care. They would be doing the same thing if they were in charge. It's just what you do. Yeah. So the money is flowing fast and free, and American businesses <laughs> are picking up a large chunk of it. Right. Um, they talk about some of the things they picked up. Among many troubling contracts we discovered was a $4.25 million payment from the Pentagon to a military diving contractor sure. that, is a mem- that a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee has described as a fraudulent company. The U.S. Right. government asserts the payment covered the company's delivery of explosives equipment to Ukraine. Wow. <clears throat> Can I charge that much? Because I'll do I'll do it for half. Uh price right now. I promise. USAID awarded $21.8 billion to Ukraine through fiscal years 2022 and 2023, roughly 41% of the $53.4 billion it spent during that period. Mysteriously, a portion of USAID funding earmarked for Kiev was sent to Kenya and Ethiopia via other agencies with the award description stating projects in Africa were, quote, partially funded with response funds and Ukraine supplemental funds. Yeah. Mm. We're allocating money to Ukraine, but sending it to Kenya and Ethiopia. Yeah. And again, because they're not keeping track, they can do that or get away with it or whatever. And so the money is already there. It's not, yeah, it's not going to Ukraine. So it sounds like somebody else had their beak in there, if you will. Yeah. Um, The four and a half billion that they sent to the World Bank, they go on to say, USAID made a total of $21 billion worth of direct payments to the World Bank in fiscal years 22 and 2023, more money than all of the funding Washington sent to the bank between fiscal years 2008 and 2021 combined. Damn. 
And that was uh, the the, uh, the global financial crisis in 2008. America knows how to do wars, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever you might think of us, we know how to do wars. There's a whole bunch of stories in here that are really interesting. Um, uh, talking about supposedly or allegedly corrupt organizations. Here's one. Um, the Department of Homeland Security sent $5.48 million to Gravois Aluminium Boats, LLC, for the following purpose. And this is in June 2021. Procurement mm-hmm. of two 38-foot full cabin response boats, four 38-foot center console response boats, trailers, spare parts, and training as required under FMS LOA DBP LCL for the country of Ukraine. <laughs> right. You got to look after them, you know. And this is in 2021, like before the invasion. They're right. Five and a half million dollars for two, well, actually, for six boats and trailers. Oh. The Department of Defense has transferred $4.75 million to Atlantic Diving Supply, Inc., uh, as of February 3rd, 2023, for pro sapper and EOD equipment, contracting mm. squadron, Ukraine, and marine life-saving and diving equipment. They go on to say that EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, and sapper equipment is exclusively used to blow things up or clean yes. up explosives. And Atlantic yes. Diving Supply is a military contractor originally founded to provide tactical gear to Navy SEAL divers. When a company like this is tasked with a highly specific delivery of explosives gear to any foreign nation, including Ukraine, it should prompt questions about the mission, particularly when U.S. intelligence is blaming Ukraine's military for attacking the Nord Stream pipelines without the knowledge of President Vladimir Zelensky. The payment date does not necessarily correlate with the date of delivery from the vendor. In other words, the equipment could have been delivered at a prior date. So yeah. we've talked about the Nord Stream uh, thing right. before. Uh, yeah. the, and then it goes on. This is Atlantic Diving Supply, this company, right? It says, Luke Hillier, the founder of Atlantic Diving Supply, paid a $20 million settlement in 2019 to resolve charges that he defrauded the Pentagon by falsely <laughs> claiming his company was a small business. Atlantic Diving is consistently listed as one of the top 25 largest military contractors in the country. In 2021, Hillier raked in a massive $33 billion contract under the same program, prompting fresh accusations of fraud. This pattern of malfeasance prompted a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee to bluntly denounce Atlantic Diving as a fraudulent company. Hillier currently owns a $13 million mega yacht in the Cayman Islands, $24 million worth of beachfront property in Hawaii, and two Bahamas-based companies with murky operations, according to the Project <laughs> on Government Oversight. <clears throat> so you never know. this yeah. is the kind of company that are just getting millions of dollars thrown yes. at them by the Pentagon or the Department of Homeland Security Let me say that again. He paid a $20 million settlement in 2019 for defrauding the Pentagon. And then still getting business. 2023 was given another $5 million by the Department of Defense. Um, You would think that once you've been found guilty and fined for defrauding the Pentagon, the US government (laughs) would not be sending you more uh, uh, money. uh, Yeah. They'll learn one day. No, 
Yeah. That's uh, not a problem, apparently. Yeah. Well, 10 years from now, when there's another war, let's you and I start some kind of consulting business or whatever, and let's see if we can rake in some of this sweet American cash. Dude, that's uh, what I've been telling you to do for 15 years. Like, when are you going <laughs> to set Cheryl, up our military? Raycam. down on the memo. <laughs> Raycam. Ray Raycam Corp. I like, I like where this is going. Yeah. Now, I want, I want you to know – Staying in the same vein as far as American money just being thrown all over the place, this morning I have filled out an application for the Polish think tank uh, uh, Kasimir Polanski Foundation, which is a Toronto-based Ukrainian TV channel, because of that $20 million that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, they got a slice of that. And then this foundation got $500,000 uh, in 2023 to fund a program dedicated to, and this is important, advancing U.S. foreign policy objectives by supporting economic growth, agriculture and trade, global health and democracy. Always because it's freedom loving peoples, conflict prevention and humanitarian assistance in Ukraine. Then they got 70, roughly $75,000 as a sub award from the State Department to build capacity and policy formulating capabilities of the International Center for Ukrainian Victory. So again, it's a Polish think tank, but for some reason they need a shit ton of money to help Ukraine win this war. I think it's just paying uh, Poland to make sure they stay on our side and maybe get in the fight if Russia keeps messing with them. But the point is, you're right. All this money is being thrown thrown out, and America has been. You could use the word dicks over the last couple of decades, especially during the uh, Cold War. But it turns out that if you give a whole bunch of people money, they either stay loyal to you or at the very least they will be quiet as you go on and perpetrate whatever crimes you may. Yeah. All right. What can we talk about next? Oh, this is a fun story. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, part of the of Russia's justification for escalating the conflict in Ukraine was mm-hmm. uh, the suggestion that uh, Ukraine would become part of NATO. Right. And America's uh, response to that was, hey, you know, they're free to join whatever they want and it's none of your business if we set up military bases on your border. Right, fuck you. Fun story in the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, Beijing plans a new training facility in Cuba, raising prospect of Chinese troops on America's doorstep. Uh, China and Cuba are negotiating to establish a new joint military training facility on the island sparking alarm in Washington that it could lead to the stationing of Chinese troops and other security and intelligence operations just 100 miles off Florida's coast, according to current and former U.S. officials. Discussions for the facility on Cuba's northern coast are at an advanced stage but not concluded, U.S. Mm. intelligence reports suggest. The Biden administration has contacted Cuban officials to try to forestall the deal because they're on such good terms with the Cuban government. (laughs) Um, Why would Cuba give up? Fuck what we think, but go ahead. Sorry. Seeking to tap into what it thinks might be Cuban concerns about ceding sovereignty. Mm. Like America is the the, the ideal country to uh, on a hill. warn Cuba about ceding its sovereignty to another yeah. nation. Because the, the US has done nothing <laughs> but support Cuba's sovereignty right? over the last hundred years. I must be reading um, different books, but that's fine. Yeah. Hey, let me give you some advice here. But so this is going to be the Cuban Missile Crisis 2.0. Yeah, so um, 
as far as we know, it hasn't happened yet. But um, right, yeah, like we'll keep an eye on this because if this goes ahead, I can guarantee you the U.S. Oh. will lose its damn mind. Shit um, a brick, I think yeah. is the official term. <laughs> um, now, it probably won't oh. go as far as invading Cuba because right. uh, they do not want no, to get into it. Head to head with China, right? Well, yes, they don't want to go toe to toe with China. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, this reminds yeah. me of my other my favorite story from last year, like um, when the war in Ukraine was ramping up, and the US was saying Ukraine has the right to do whatever the fuck it wants, and then the Solomon Islands right. were going to do a deal with China, and America also said, "If you do, we we will fucking invade Solomon Islands." So. Fuck you up. Um, yes. Fascinating story. But there was another story um, relating to this. Um, I'm going to – how do you spell Guantanamo, uh, UN? The, um, yeah, the, the UN investigator. Here we go, the Guardian. This is from two days ago. Uh, speaking of Cuba, Guantanamo Bay is obviously on Cuba. Yes. For some reason, the U.S. controls part of Cuba. That, that is so it, weird. Uh, yeah. Puts Guantanamo Bay. Um, according to the U.N., the U.S. government continues to subject the 30 men held at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba to cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. The first U.N. human rights investigator allowed to visit the camp since it was set up 20 years ago has concluded. Wow. Fionula Ni Aulan was granted unprecedented access as an independent UN monitor, spending four days at Guantanamo in February and meeting a range of the 34 prisoners who were then detained. The number mm. held has now fallen to 30, including the five prisoners accused of plotting the attacks on New York and Washington on 9 11. Um, She's a law professor at the University of Minnesota and at Queen's University in Belfast. She told a press conference on Monday that after two decades of custody, the suffering of those detained is profound and it's ongoing. Every right. single detainee I met with lives with the unrelenting harms that follow from systematic practices of rendition, torture, and arbitrary detention. Mm. Um, she said, you and Inspector reserve some of her harshest criticism for the fact that 19 of the 30 detainees have never been charged with any crime, some right. of whom have been held in the military camp for two decades. Not now, charged. I seem to remember uh, somebody by the name of Barack Obama campaigning <laughs> in yes. uh, 2008 right. saying that one of his first yeah. uh, things he would do Official when he got acts. elected was shut down Guantanamo Bay. Here we are in 2023. See what had happened was you you weren't there what ha you weren't in the room what had happened was he he won the election he walked into the Oval Office and they explained how this shit works and he said oh okay so they're not going anywhere because now we've turned them into rabid anti-American whatever and if we let them go we're in danger but here's my question as a concerned American I don't know how much we're paying to maintain this place but I'm sure it's a pretty penny and we're doing it year after year. For 30 people, 19 of them haven't been charged. This is just a bad situation all around, financially, morally, politically, internationally. I mean, this, this is a shit show that did not have to be. And yet now that we've got the tiger by the tail, I don't think we know what to do. 
She says, uh, you know, one of the reasons this is locked, uh, sort of stuck, is right. um, because of the CIA's torture program, which has become a roadblock for some of the detainees going to trial. Neo Lane said that continued internment of some men flowed from the unwillingness of the authorities to face the consequences of the torture and other ill treatment to which the detainees were subjected and not from any ongoing threat they are believed to pose. Make me look bad. We can't have that. So if we try and bring them to trial, their defense is going to talk about the fact that they were tortured. That's going to put the people who approved the torture under the spotlight, and we don't want that. Can't, can't so, ipso yeah, facto. <laughs> yes. You're going to rot. You're going to die here. No trial, no charges, no ability to defend yourself. This is the rest. Welcome to the rest of your life. Yeah. So That's fucked up. You know, don't bring up the Uyghurs. Um, don't bring up <laughs> Russia while you're still running Guantanamo. Bay until then, essentially, exactly. And yeah. Julian Assange is, is freed. If, if we could throw him bay. in as well, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving mm. right along, Ray. Um, yeah. Yeah. the Falklands, the interesting story published by declassifieduk.org. I read during the week. Um, 14 right. years before the Falklands War, right. British ministers planned to transfer sovereignty of the islands to Argentina privately arguing the territory could become costly, could not be defended, and was a source of military tension with Buenos Aires. On 24th of September 1968, Barbara Castle jotted into her diary about a cabinet meeting held earlier that day. Mm -hmm. Um, For people like myself who've never heard of Barbara Castle, she she was was uh, the Baroness Castle of Blackburn, a British Labour Party politician, member of parliament from 1945 to 1979, making Mm. her one of the longest serving female MPs of British history. Anyway, 1968, she wrote this diary note. It is typical of British policy that the fate of 2,500 people should occupy us for no less than one and a half hours. Really, the problem of winding up the last outposts of empire is almost ludicrously difficult. Castle, then the first Secretary of State in Harold Wilson's Labor government, was talking about the Falkland Malvinas Islands, a long-standing bone of contention between Britain and Argentina. Between Mm. 1966 and 1968, the UK government had been engaged in secret negotiations with Argentina over the sovereignty of the Falklands. The BBC revealed in the late 1990s that the two countries signed an agreement in 1968 stating the UK, quote, will recognise Argentina's sovereignty over the islands from a date to be agreed while, quote, duly taking into account the interests of the population of the islands. But the more recent declassification of the British files throws further light on UK interests. During the Cabinet meeting of 24th of September 1968, ministers privately noted that the Falkland Islands were, quote, no longer of any strategic or commercial value to us and worried that the U.S. government would soon be required to provide budgetary aid to the territory. Ministers also anticipated the threat of military conflict with Argentina over the Falklands, noting that we can no longer defend the Falkland Islands except by a force ridiculously large in in relation to the population and our resources. 
14 years before the Falklands War, the UK government thus viewed the islands to be of diminished value and yes. a potential national security issue. Yet a diplomatic right. solution was never found and Argentine forces invaded the territory in April of 1982. So, yeah, um, yeah what do you think about that, Ray? Yeah, I, that, that is fascinating to me because you and I know, because of what we're doing in the Cold War, that Britain was suffering in a lot of ways after World War II, certainly with food and rationing and the, the dole and the handout and stuff like that. So here's here's Britain. They've been greatly diminished after World War II. They don't have much of their empire left. Maybe it's pride or whatever. They're hanging on to the, the Falcons. And they have a discussion with the Argentine government 12 years before the Argentine government can't take it anymore. But here's my thing. London itself goes, look, we're not making any money. And gosh darn it, I think we all know that, that colonies or empires or whatever is all about making making money and resources or whatever. We're not making money and we really can't defend it anymore. And if we have to, we'll have to leave a force there that's so big it will wipe out any profits we make. And things are getting so bad we actually might have to give them money every year. Again, that is not why we have uh, an empire or colonies. So they, they acknowledge that this is tacky. In my personal opinion, this is nothing more than just what I know about uh, British history is that they just could not just could not bring themselves to let go. Uh, the Argentine government's waits more than another decade. They get frustrated and so they attack. But here's my thing. When, when this war goes on, and as you can, as most of you probably know, Britain won. Yay, whatever. But this war cost them 2.8 billion pounds back then. They lost 255 people, had more than 700 wounded. They had destroyed two, they, they lost two destroyers, two frigates, a landing ship, landing craft, 24 helicopters, and 10 fighters. And as you all know, that costs hundreds of millions of dollars. So let's put it just over $3 billion. In my to my thinking, British pride would not let them let this go. They have a war and they end up losing roughly just over $3 billion for it. That's what it means to have a superpower mentality when you can no longer back up the idea that you are a superpower. This was a clusterfuck from day one. And when they recognize that this no longer, you know, qui bono, it no longer benefited from them. They should have let it go and, you know, gone into the history books as, yay, Britain's seen the light of day and they're you know, whatever. But they fucked this royally. That's my interpretation of what this is all about. What about you? Yeah, look, I don't understand the whole thing. Um, I never no really sense. have. I've never drilled down into it enough. But interestingly, in this right. article, they also point out that The Guardian discovered in 2015 that two years before the Falklands War, Margaret right. Thatcher's government offered to hand over sovereignty to the Falkland Islands at so a clandestine fuck? meeting with a senior Argentinian official. Right. So- they were prepared for like decades yes. to hand over Argentina. Yeah, oh, sorry, hand over the Falklands to Argentina. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, 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 you know, the, it really doesn't seem to have been something they cared about that much until so they it? did. <clears throat> Yeah, it's uh, it's costing us money. We can defend it. Uh, you're bitching at me. Uh, no, you're not getting it. I mean, where's the disconnect? We acknowledge that this no longer serves our purpose. We can't afford it, but we're not giving it back. I don't know where the disconnect, where the where during the secret negotiations, where was the breakdown? That makes no sense to me. I guess I, the point of bringing up the story, apart from right. just talking shit about the British, which is always fun. <laughs> 
arrogance. Yeah. Is that again, we have one of these situations where you know, when the war happened, there was a lot of, you know, I was like 12 at the time, but, uh, you know, we've right. talked about it from time to time uh, on our various shows. And the British are always uh, very adamant that the the British were doing the right thing, that mm-hmm. the, the, the citizens of the Falklands didn't want to become part of Argentina. They right. wanted to be part of the British Empire and stay part of the British, and the British were just defending their rights Etc. Cetera, yes. Etc. Cetera. But you know, we weren't told the full story by the British government. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For decades. Yeah. In so fact, uh, the British didn't give a shit, and they were <laughs> yeah. secretly yeah. offering to hand it all over anyway. Yeah. Uh, why Margaret not. Thatcher uh, decided right. to um, defend the islands? Um, you know, again, yeah. this is during the Cold War. You know, yes. the Argentina Context. had a potty history um, with, with you know, um, dictators and revolutions mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And, and Nazi Germany. Yeah. The British, you know, Ma- Maggie Thatcher, maybe one of those who decided she needed to look strong. Yes. Um, but then we weren't told the full truth by the British government about these secret negotiations with Argentina over the Falklands. Right. Which is one of the reasons we can never believe anything our governments tell us, uh, particularly when their decisions don't make a lot of sense on the surface. <laughs> yeah, there, there's exactly. always stories that are going on behind the scenes that often we never find about out about at all. Uh, in some cases, we're lucky we do find out about them decades later. Exactly. Yeah. Daniel Ellsberg is dead, uh, age 92. Um yeah. I get accused a lot of being anti-American and not saying anything nice about America or Americans. Daniel Ellsberg um, was uh, one of the good guys, definitely. Um, For the kids out there listening who don't know who Daniel Ellsberg was, he was a a military analyst who Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. worked for the Pentagon and um, in 1971, made a decision to leak um, internal U.S. government documents about the Vietnam War to right. the media. New York Times became known as the Pentagon Papers, mm-hmm. um, and named uh, in reference to the Pumpkin Papers that we've talked about on the Cold War show. Recently, yes, from the early fifties. That's that's where I hide my most valuable stuff in a rotting pumpkin on a farm. You know it. Seven thousand government pages. Uh, this is according to the New York Times of damning revelations about deceptions by successive presidents who exceeded their authority, bypassed Congress, and misled the American people. Plunged a nation that was already wounded and divided by the war deeper into angry controversy. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it sort of played a very large role in ending support uh, for the Vietnam War in the United States. Mm-hmm. Basically, he he got sick of the fact that he knew the yes. U.S. government and successive administrations, not just Nixon's, but Johnson's, right. Kennedy's, Eisenhower's, had been lying to the American people mm-hmm. about their chances of success in Vietnam. Publicly, they were saying, yep, we've got it all stitched up. We're going to win this thing. Privately, behind the scenes, they were like, yeah, there's no fucking chance we're ever yeah, getting out of yeah. this. We're never going to win this thing. It's a cl- clusterfuck. We should never have exactly. got into it in the first place. Um, and but he took are. it, but fully knowing that he was probably going to spend the rest of his life in jail, he yeah. did it. 
Good for uh, him. Yeah. And, you know, that's when Nixon's people invaded his psychiatrist's office to try yes. and get files. Um, Which is so illegal, they could discredit him. <laughs> In case anybody wasn't sure. Oh, I, what I'm saying, Ray, is if the president <laughs> does it, then it must be legal. Uh, yeah. So he was charged with espionage, conspiracy, and other crimes. I mean, you're right. Nixon was going to bury this man. That was yeah. the, that was the plan. You know, and he he was a huge inspiration to people like Julian Assange, who he supported uh, very publicly, very openly until his um, death. Right. And uh, you know, people like Edward Snowden mm-hmm. uh, and other whistleblowers. <clears throat> who have um, worked for or had access to um, U.S. government information and secrets and decided, you know what, the the general public should know about this. It's being hidden from them. And it's you know, the crazy thing is Ellsberg is kind of recognised as a hero in the United States today and has been since the 70s, and -hmm. yet, all these other people that follow in his footsteps, you know, Julian <laughs> Assange is a publisher, not right. not an American. Didn't didn't right. you know? It wasn't a whistleblower. He was a publisher of whist- stuff given to him by whistleblowers. Yeah, but Snowden, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, Chelsea Manning, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, mm-hmm. uh, vilified by the U.S. government, by successive administrations. Uh, Edward Snowden still uh, is trapped in Russia. He can't go home. Uh, Julian Assange still in Belmarsh Prison. The Biden administration still trying to have him extradited to the U.S. to stand trial for publishing the truth, for telling the truth about what the U.S. was doing. Um, Chelsea Manning went to jail, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the Ellsberg hero, other people who yeah. do the same thing that Ellsberg does, vilified, hounded, lives destroyed, yes. and yet America wants us to think of them as the uh, shining city on the hill that everyone yeah. should listen to and pay attention to. Is, is that because of, I mean, who, who knows, and I'm sure the answer is very complex and layered and whatever, but do you think a part of it might be context? Like you said, the Vietnam War was going on. It was very unpopular with at least half the country. And so I, I think uh, Americans might be receptive to someone like him, you know, kind of shedding the light and and, and get called a hero uh, because they did want it to end. And so I, I, and maybe with other people, it's like, yeah, we're doing bad stuff. But we're doing it to other people, so it's kind of—I don't know. I'm just trying. I would love to know what the disconnect, the break is. He's a hero. Everybody else after him is a villain. They should be put under the prison. I wish I understood that better because blind loyalty or blind nationalism is one of the most dangerous things uh, that can happen. Because then, then a government can do anything, and they will. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, I don't get that. Moving right along. Yeah. Um, there's a story that hit a couple of weeks ago, um, which hasn't got as much coverage as I thought it would. Um, this, is, this is public.substack.com, I think, were the first to publish this. Michael Schellenberger with the support of Matt Taibbi and ex-Gutentag. Mm-hmm. First people sickened by COVID-19 were Chinese scientists at Wuhan Institute of Virology, says US <gasps> government sources. 
The three uh-huh. scientists were engaged in gain-of-function research on SARS-like coronaviruses when they fell ill. After years right. of official pronouncements to the contrary, significant new evidence has emerged that strengthens the case that the SARS-CoV-2 virus accidentally escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, WIV. According mm-hmm. to multiple US government officials interviewed as part of a lengthy investigation by Public and Racket, the first people infected by the virus, patient zero, included Ben Hugh, a researcher mm-hmm. who led the WIV's gain-of-function research on SARS-like coronaviruses, which increases the infectiousness of viruses. That's what oh, gain-of-function is. You basically try and figure out how to make viruses more dangerous, and you do Supercharge. that. Supercharge yeah. yeah, you do that so you can build cures for them or be aware from them. If they naturally evolve to become more dangerous, we know you know, how to be ready for that, how to study right. it. Yes. Uh, so the, the suggestion in this story is mm-hmm. uh, that these people were the first to be infected with COVID, therefore it probably came out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology and not from right. – you know, people eating animals at wet markets and all that kind yes. of story. Now, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice you said with um, American government sources officials. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, th- th- this is basically saying China lied. China did it, not on purpose, obviously, or probably not on purpose, but it somehow something went astray, like it does in the movies, in the lab. They're the first three to get it. Uh, I don't know when they die, but if but if but if they are the very first three to get it, that is almost like a smoking gun. That is cl- case closed. It started in that lab, but you just said it was nothing but American sources. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, that was the first. That was the thing that stuck out to me. Oh my God, this is so damning. This is for bad for China. Wait a minute. We hate China. We're always looking for ways to to make them look bad, and this seems to be a perfect example of that. Well, the way this story is being pitched is partly that. Um, yeah, and right. b- by the way, like um, Schellenberg and Matt Tebe and Alex Guttentag, I think are all um, credible journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Matt Tebe said he didn't have a lot to do with this. <clears throat> I think he just he provided access to a source or something and he got a co-credit mm-hmm. on it, but he said he didn't have a lot to do with it. But so right. it's partly positioned as um, our government officials in the US and around the West have been lying to us all along. They kept mm. telling us it didn't come out of a lab and it did come out of a lab or maybe it did come out of a lab. There's not a lot of evidence in this story to prove <laughs> right. that these people were patient zero. Yes, that was my next thing, but go ahead. We'll talk about that in a second. And there's, you know, the government sources are anonymous and all that kind of stuff. But again, I think these are credible journalists, you know, we talk about epistemology and heuristics a lot on this show, mm-hmm. heuristics being who do you turn to, who do you trust to tell you the truth here. These these journalists, I think, are credible. But right. there's not a lot of meat behind this story. But the, the the big thing that kind of like didn't get my head around with this story is there's a suggestion that if this is true, mm-hmm. if it did come out of a lab, then – and if we, if if Western government sources and Anthony Fauci, et cetera, had taken that theory more seriously back in 2020, right? Our response to COVID would have been different, and mm. uh, less people would have been impacted by it, either dying or getting sick. Uh, our economies would have been less impacted by it, and I don't really know how right. that fits together. 
Thank you. Just now, because I know where it comes from, how does that change how I, I totally agree with this. Like, how does that, how do I somehow react to it more efficiently knowing it came from a lab versus not knowing it came from a lab? Everything else is still the same, but I'm not a scientist. So what do I know? Yeah, and there's this suggestion again, and I've been seeing this in lots of places and Glenn Greenwald mm-hmm. and Matt Taibbi and, and a few people who I respect have been peddling this story, um, Bill Ma. This idea that the US government um, and, you know, I guess medical officials around the world, other governments, other medical officials, sort of shut down the whole lab leak theory back in mm-hmm. 2020, 2021. And people right. that were pushing the theory that it came out of the lab were called crackpots or nutters, <laughs> and they were yes. shut down, and it was it was labelled as disinformation, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, here's my take on it. We did a lot of stories about this back in those years, I recall, and mm-hmm. I followed it pretty closely, and I had – particularly um, strong conspiracy theorist listeners of ours sending me thousands of emails trying to promote the um, various conspiracy theories about vaccines going to kill you and this being the whole thing being government control, government's attempts to (laughs) oppress and suppress the people and they're going to, you know, all these doomsday theories that were surrounding it. I just got the vaccine so I could have 5G, 5G and it worked for me. So maybe they're on to something. But go In ahead. Head, I apologize. The Bill Gates <laughs> chip. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's up here. <laughs> um, my uh, uh, remembrance of all the way this played out at the time was mm-hmm. the government officials and, and senior medical officials were saying, there is no evidence or no hard evidence, strong evidence that it came Correct. out of a lab, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and this story doesn't really change that because they haven't provided any hard evidence that it came yes. out of a lab. They're saying that these researchers at the lab were patient zero, but they haven't really backed that up with anything. Now, Conjecture, when yeah. Matt Taibbi tweeted this, uh, link to this, he said that major news sites were digging into this story more and there would be a series of revelations that would be coming out and that may still happen. But may. as far as this story is concerned, yeah. Um, yeah. there's talking, they, they say that there is evidence, but they don't say what that evidence is. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, like the the when there was all this disinformation and misinformation running around in 2020 about the the source of it and you know and then mm-hmm. 2021 what the vaccines were going to do to you etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> right. um, and governments may. and social media and mainstream media organizations were trying their best i think to uh you know, control the narrative in a way to say, listen, there's no evidence for these stories. There's more evidence right. for this and trying to clarify the the theories that were supported by evidence and shut down or, or limit the discussion around the narratives that weren't supported by evidence, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the right thing to do. I mean, did they overstep the mark? Maybe. Um, right. You know, was there justification for shutting down misinformation and disinformation, or or, or flaky theories? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm not a believer in censorship, but you know, I, I do think that governments and you know medical authorities in times like that need to draw a hard line and say to people, yeah. 
Because people are confused, right? And if these misinformation and disinformation stories or stories that aren't supported by evidence are going to stop people from doing what is best for their own health or best for community health, then they do need to be treated seriously and they need to be told, no, that story is bullshit, stop talking about it or we don't have evidence for that. If evidence emerges five years later, ten years later, that those theories that were thought to be ridiculous turned out to be true, so be it. But evidence coming five years later is not evidence at the time. You know, a broken clock is going to be right (laughs) twice a day. Economists that predict a recession every week are going to be right eventually. People saying that Putin's going to lose power every day for 30 years are going to be right eventually. (laughs) Uh, And and crazy conspiracy theories. And again, a conspiracy theory, like we, I was talking before about uh, the U.S. government's, you know, involvement in Prigozhin and uh, mm-hmm. his attempted coup. The difference between being a conspiracy theorist and I think being uh, sceptical or asking questions is I don't, be- uh, you know, I'm not going to say I believe 100% uh, that the U.S. government was involved in Prigozhin's um, uh, right. uh, March on Moscow. Weekend- Trip, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, based on what we know about the U.S.'s involvement in other coups, attempted mm-hmm. and successful over the last seventy years, right. that this is how these things work, and we yeah. never have, we we usually don't have evidence of them at the time. Usually, never get hard evidence of them. And if we do, it we get it fifty years later. I'm not right. saying I believe it. I'm not pushing that as this is actually what's happening. I'm saying it's a possibility, but until mm-hmm. evidence it comes forward, I'm not going yeah. to uh, put my hand on my heart and say I believe this story or that story or the other story. I'm throwing it exactly. out there as a possibility. Right. Um, and if people want to say, well, there's no evidence for that, I'll be the first to agree. Yeah, I have no evidence for it except history, uh, similar stories in history that we do have evidence for that seem to map very closely to this story. Right. But um, I, I don't get this whole, like, even if it did come out of the lab, I'm like, okay, so what? I mean, was yeah. it deliberate? Did China deliberately release COVID into yeah. the world? No. It was going to no. be an accident. Did these researchers deliberately infect themselves with COVID? By the way, Ben Hu's still alive, as far as I can tell. I looked him up. Still alive. Right. I don't think he said anything publicly about it. He's still working at WIV, I think. So. Mm. Which is surprising because, you know, you would think that a lot of the first people that got COVID would be dead. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So even if it did come out of the lab, so what? I mean, does that mean governments were wrong to say there was no evidence to support that theory back in 2020? No, there was no evidence back then. There doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence being made publicly available now. Exactly. Just suggestions that maybe there might be some more evidence that, that we haven't quite confirmed yet. Um, does it mean China's bad if it came out of WIV? No, it's an accident. Now, the U.S. government has, uh, I think this is part of the story here, the U.S. government has over the years, pre-COVID and probably post-COVID, um, mm-hmm. funded a lot of research at Wuhan's Institute of Virology. Yes, and the suggestion is that they shut down the whole lab leak story because it would have reflected badly on the fact that the U.S. government has been funding research into viruses, gain-of-function viruses at Wuhan. Um, I don't think that narrative really tracks. I mean, if it did, I mean, you know, gain-of-function studies are important. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're done all over the world. If um, 
you know, there's a there's an accident and something leaks out of a lab. Does that mean any government that's funded research at that lab is guilty of something or should be? Yeah, you know, it's pushing you know, it. You know, it's no, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's all sort yeah. of storm in a teacup kind of stuff. I think, but I think the crazy conspiracy theorists out there are going to have a field day with this if. Um, any more evidence comes forwards, they will see it as uh, some sort of, yeah. um, I guess, verification that they were right all along about that. But again, evidence coming out four or five years later is not evidence at the time, and no. a broken clock is always right twice. Final story I want to talk about, Ray. Biden administration clamps down on China's access to chip technology, New York Times stories from um, October 7th, 2022. So it's not new, but Mm -hmm. this is something that's escalating right now uh, because of AI. Right. Right. And I want to talk about like just the hypocrisy um, in these stories. So on one hand, the US has been pushing for open trade for a hundred years. So we talked about this. Very important to us. Yes. And I'm not sure if it was this show or the Cold War show, probably this show. Um, the open right. door policy the US came out with early 1900s, late 19th century, um, early right. 20th century. It was regarding China, uh, ironically. Mm-hmm. Initially, China's right. trade was kind of locked down by the British after the Opium Wars. America was trying to get access to it, and they were pushing for an open door policy for China. Yeah. They wanted to great. get access yeah. to that market as well. Part yeah. of their whole, you know, free the capitalism um, mantra for the last hundred and twenty odd years mm-hmm. has been about everyone should have access to everything, and yeah. you know, restrictions on trade. Exactly. Is bad, um, and and you know the whole World Trade Organization, etc., was set up to try and prevent countries from, you know, uh, uh, um, restricting access to markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as is often the way, as soon as America <laughs> sees free trade as a threat, oh, uh, they try down. and shut it down. <laughs> Shut that shit down. So they obviously see China as a threat. And to be clear, all yeah. of the vilification of China as the new evil um, yeah. is is bullshit, right? Um, it's a narrative. It's a framework. Yeah. Yeah, China just- has become an economic threat to mm-hmm. the United States. And, yes, look, they've built up their military as well. But China's not the one with 800 military bases <laughs> and a and a defense budget bigger than the rest of the world's put together. That's the United States. Exactly. China has become an economic threat, and the U.S. is scared that it's going to lose its dominance uh, to China, and so it's trying to prevent China from getting any stronger than it is. And so one of the things that they're doing is clamping down access to chip technology that China could use to build greater supercomputers or build greater AI, and there's an AI war going on at the moment. China, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, you probably don't get a lot of coverage of this in the US, but no. covering it on my Futurist podcast, um, mm-hmm. the most powerful AI in the world today is not ChatGPT4. It's actually um, a Chinese um, AI, at least according oh, wow. to one of the evaluation methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, called, what's it called? Uh, don't have it here in front of me. It's in my other notes. But um 
So the, the US government's trying to prevent China from getting access to certain technologies that it can use to right. uh, increase its um, economic, you know, progress. Ambitions, um, yeah. The problem that, China, that, that the US has in this, though, right. is that um, Raytheon and companies like that uh, are getting a lot of their parts for their um, uh, weapon systems from China. Right. <sighs> Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to find this story um, here. Where, here we go. We can de-risk but not decouple from China. Mm. Um, Western Matter, this is from um, a couple of weeks ago. This is in uh, the Financial Times. Uh, Western manufacturers will be able to de-risk their operations in China, but will find it impossible to cut ties completely with the country, according to yeah. the head of one of the US's largest aerospace and defense companies. Greg Hayes, chief executive of Raytheon, said the company had several thousand suppliers in China and decoupling is impossible. We can de-risk but not decouple, Hayes told the Financial right. Times in an interview, adding that he believed this to be the case for everybody. Think about the $500 billion of trade that goes from China to the US every year. More than 95% of rare earth materials or metals come from or are processed in China. There is Mm -hmm. no alternative, said Hayes. If we had to pull out of China, it would take us many, many years to reestablish that capability, either domestically or in other friendly countries. Hayes comments underline the difficulties facing Western manufacturers amid growing friction between China and the US and its allies. Beijing in February imposed new sanctions on both Raytheon and U.S. defense peer Lockheed Martin for supplying weapons to Taiwan. Hayes has also been placed under sanctions. So they've got this situation where the U.S. is trying to limit China's access to technology, but Mm -hmm. China is supplying technology to the U.S.'s largest military manufacturers. If China pulled... Yeah. If China pulled the fucking plug on access to those, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin would shut down overnight. Like the impact, and China's not, you know, they're they're putting some sanctions, et cetera, et cetera, but they're not completely pulling the plug. China has US military by the balls. Yeah, Uh, I don't get that. Yeah. This whole thing, um, this trade war with um, China is crazy, and I want to play a clip because this is um, um, something I saw this week. Uh, Let Mm -hmm. me see if I'm going to play this. Hopefully you'll be able to hear this. So there's a TV show in Australia called Utopia. It's um, it's, uh, a satirical show about a government-funded organisation called the National Building Authority and just dealing with bureaucracy and and the, the the CEO of it played by a very famous you ever seen the castle australian film um I think about so. the family who's trying to get pushed off their land so they can build a an airport or something and they take it to the high court yeah. very famous australian film from the 90s made yeah. by the same people who make utopia um, gotcha group of comics that have been around Australia since the 80s, very famous here. Anyway, mm. this is a clip from one of their episodes that uh, it sort of explains Australia's relationship with China. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, the, Rob Sitch, the CEO of this um, 
National Building Authority meeting with a bunch of military this people. This white paper is recommended. I'm going to try and turn the volume up here. So you can, tell mm -hmm. me if you can hear this. So I thought the best way to proceed was to get everyone in the one room. Good thinking. Okay, you're all right. Mm -hmm. I'll come straight to the point. This white paper is recommending we spend close to $400 billion over the forward estimates. Now, at some point, the PM is going to be asked a very simple question. In order to protect us from which, which enemy? It's so hard to say. $400 billion, pick one. A regional player. Specifically, Colonel. An Indo-Pacific regional player. More specifically? Indo-Asia-Pacific. That's broader. Who are you leaving out? Yeah. yeah, I sort of need a country. Or an unaligned player. No, a country. One that might threaten us, just one. I wouldn't want to raise tensions. Where? In this room. You know what? I'll name one and you just nod. China. They're all nodding. Yeah. Okay. And what exactly are we protecting? Strategic interests. Specifically, Colonel. Indo-Pacific strategic interests. Really specific. Indo-Asia-Pacific yeah. strategic You know what? I'll say it and then you nod. Our trade routes. They nod. Yeah. And who is our number one trading partner? Shall we use an odd system? Sure. China? Yeah. Oh. So under this scenario, we're spending close to $30 billion a year to protect our trade with China from China. And that doesn't strike anyone at this table as odd? They're all shaking their head. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, that's, how, that's how it works. That's this how it works. This is the same so, thing in America. You're trying yes, to you're trying to scale. block technology from China whilst China yeah. is supplying your military with, right. you know, yeah. major <laughs> bits of technology. Right. And and these major corporations donate to politicians, keeping them in office. I mean, it, it's a cycle. But but you and I know and everybody knows every day that goes by, the world's economy is that much more integrated. The idea of being able to punish another country um, economically and not have some blowback, that's more and more a thing of the past. I don't – they got to do something better than that. They got to come up with a smarter game because China – like you said, so far they've just been kind of doing tit for tat, but they could respond in a bigger way. And if they can find a way that will not hurt them, we could be in a lot of hurt. So, again, I do not get this short-sighted attack on them. Speaking of China, of course, the narrative yeah. in the West that we've been getting for a few years now is, oh, they're going to right. invade Taiwan. We need to stop them mm -hmm. from invading Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Russia's, they're supporting Russia's escalation in Ukraine. It's sort of a test run for Taiwan, Taiwan, right. Taiwan, Taiwan. Richard Cullen, who's a professor of law at the University of Hong Kong, wrote an article that I read the other day. It's in mm -hmm. a publication called FridayEveryday.com. The untold truth about Taiwan's real legal position. Now, we've talked about Taiwan on this yeah. show, I think on the Cold War show, mm -hmm. um, the history of Taiwan. But here's, yeah. here's the headlines from his um, article, which I highly recommend. The daily Western presentation of Taiwan as a functionally independent nation on the verge of being invaded by China <clears throat> flies in the face of the actual facts as specified by global agreements recognised and codified by people on both sides of the strait. China's governing constitutional instruments specify that the mainland and Taiwan are one country. And so does the constitutional document of Taiwan, Republic of China. It also right. specifies that the two entities are a single indivisible country. To this day, the ROC constitution ostensibly applies not just to Taiwan, but to the whole of China, including the Taipei-based government's control over Tibet and other parts. 
China's mm. nine dash line, under which the country claims a large portion of the South China Sea, is actually a reduced version of Taiwan's eleven dash line, which Taiwan still applies to the same waters. Journalists wow. correctly mentioned that some countries, one hundred ninety three, legally support China, while others, thirteen, legally support Taiwan. But they omit the key fact that both groups read the small print legally support the principle that mainland China and Taiwan are a single country. While some in Taiwan's DPP openly push for independence, the party would have to rip up or massively amend Taiwan's own constitutional document to do so. And he goes into the history of Taiwan that we've covered on our shows. Mm -hmm. You know, it was part of China towards the end of the Civil War, Kuomintang under Chiang Kai-shek escaped to Taiwan, set themselves up there, and right. China was going to go, you know, well, Mao Zedong was going to go and take the island till the US stepped in. Uh, the US didn't really give a shit about Taiwan. They were supporting KMT. Um, mm-hmm. They realized they were on the wrong side of the battle. They didn't really give they a lost. shit until right. Korea became a thing. And then they were like, oh, yeah. shit, you know, we, yeah. need, we need a place we can station troops and put a base. And Taiwan was it. Um, right. But he goes on to say, and I have to keep reminding this, I get into conversations about this all the time, um, Mm -hmm. and I have to keep reminding people here, that um, the United States and the Australian government Mm -hmm. and, and, and most of the governments of the world, including the UN, recognize that Taiwan is part of China. Officially, we all acknowledge the one China China. policy. Yeah, exactly. There's no mystery here. He says, um, until late 1971, the claimed but nominal ROC, Republic of China, that's Taiwan's government, Mm -hmm. jurisdiction over all of China, was widely recognized internationally and especially by the United Nations. The ROC representing China became one of the five permanent members uh, of the UN Security Council, holding Mm -hmm. a veto power along with Britain, France, the US, and the USSR, now Russia. Eventually, the geopolitical tectonic plate shifted, however, and in late 1971, the United Nations voted by a large margin to stop recognising the KMT government in Taiwan as the government of all of China and switch that recognition to the PRC government based in Beijing. Right. Uh, And here's a quote from United States official policy on this. The United States recognizes the government of the People's Republic of China as the sole legal government of China and acknowledges the Chinese position that there is but one China and that Taiwan is a part of China. Then the the wording here, acknowledges the Chinese position, is always used as sort of the uh, sort of a Stalin esque Yalta conference. Uh, hedging our bets both ways here. We acknowledge it. Doesn't mean we agree with it, but we acknowledge it. We certainly don't like Um, it. But as he points out, um, today Beijing maintains full diplomatic relations on this same basis with the overwhelming majority of UN member states. The ROC on Taiwan now retains full diplomatic relations with just 12 of the 193 UN member states, plus the Holy See, which governs Vatican City. Um. So, like this whole issue um, about Which China is, and Taiwan is just, right. uh, and it gets messed up in the media, as he points out. He says how how the press misleads. Right. The press curiously misleads the public on the Taiwan issue. For example, the Hong Kong Free Press says China 
quote, does not recognise it as an independent country, end quote, but omits to tell the readers that neither does the UN or the US or any other entity, including Taiwan itself. The press Mm. constantly uses words like claims or views (laughs) as to create an impression at odds with the facts. And he's quoting from, here's the Hong Kong Free Press, the People's Republic of China claims that Taiwan is one of its provinces and does not Mm. recognise it as an independent country. South China Morning Post, Beijing, which claims sovereignty over self-ruled Taiwan, has intensified cross-strait military drills. It views formal exchanges with the island as a violation of its sovereignty. Reuters. Um, says, democratically governed Taiwan, which China views as its own territory, has over the past three years regularly reported Chinese Navy ships and Air Force aircraft operating around the island as Beijing seeks to press its territorial claims. So the way that it it, it is portrayed by Western governments and Western media is not what the actual position of all of the countries of the world pretty much is. A lot of air quotes. Yeah, um, he's, yeah, he's got a thing here. People who agree that mainland China and the island of Taiwan are one country, the people of mainland China, the people of Taiwan, the United Nations, the United States, the United Kingdom, the European community, Australia, and pretty much every other country. <laughs> people who imply they are separate countries, uninformed Republicans, uninformed Democrats, Infowars, 4chan, Fox News, BBC, 9gag, New York Times, fake name people on Twitter, The Guardian, UK anti-China, APPG. Just a Which reminder for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a reminder for people that Taiwan <laughs> yeah. is part of China and nearly every country in the world, including Taiwan, yes. agrees with that. It's it not open like, for debate. To, exactly. It sounds like this is not an issue except for some Americans in Washington who want to find some some instrument to bludgeon China to keep them down for all the reasons you just said. This is not an issue except for people who need an issue with China. This does not exist. This is not a thing. And that is the bullshit filter for this month. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 